Hi there, welcome to the Creative Careers in Medicine podcast. I'm Andrew Bracey. In this series, we talk to doctors about all the fascinating and often inspiring things they're doing in and alongside their medical careers as they forge their own creative paths. This is episode 11 of the series. It's another of the interviews that we did up on the Gold Coast on the sidelines of the recent CCIM uh, 2019 event. My guest in this one is Dr. Michael Bonning, who, given the laundry list of projects, boards, organizations, and roles, um, various other things he's been involved with over the, the years, many of you may already know or perhaps have worked with him or at least be familiar with, with him. Um, as we touched on at the start of the conversation that you'll hear, um, I first crossed paths with Michael about 13 or 14 years ago. Um, and in the intervening years, he's gone on to forge a really interesting and diverse career and life, I guess, that as well as including being a GP, has seen him spend a great deal of time serving as a medical officer in the Royal Australian Navy. Uh, he's been deployed overseas to places like the Middle East, um, Southeast Asia and the Mediterranean and, and off Australia's northern borders as well. He's the current chair of the AMA New South Wales. Uh, he's a director of GP Synergies, held a raft of other positions that we'll touch on during our chat. Uh, importantly, he talks about how he manages or tries his best to manage all these competing responsibilities and commitments. This episode of the Creative Careers in Medicine podcast is brought to you by The Private Practice. The Private Practice provides business and financial education training for healthcare professionals at each stage of your practice and personal life, whether you're transitioning into private practice, seeking strategies for growth, or planning a successful succession or retirement. You can find out more by visiting their website at www.theprivatepractice.com.au. So on to my conversation with Michael Bonding. It's a slightly longer one, partly due to the amount of ground there was to cover because of all the things he does. But if you hang around towards the end uh, of this one, he has some really interesting insights and reflections and advice based on his experiences. Um, and he also touches on what he finds so exciting about being part of the CCRM community, what it means to him, and what he sees as an exciting future uh, for those who dare to step off the beaten track. I hope you enjoy it. Dr. Michael Bonning, thank you so much for joining the Creative Careers in Medicine podcast. All right. Uh, thanks, Andrew. It's nice to see you again. We I hadn't seen you in quite a while. I was going to say, I wanted to start by sort of saying, putting you know, putting out, I, I first probably interviewed you about 12 years ago. I was working as a political reporter and you were still a med student at that stage. Um, you'd just taken over, I think that was when, because you'd taken over the national presidency of, the, of, of AMSA, the Medical Students Association. I, I bring it up purely, purely because it occurred to me even then um, that you were someone who was not perhaps going to ever be content with like a traditional straightforward medical career uh, regardless of what specialty you ultimately pursued I just is that fair to say I mean you, did you always have sort of grand ambitions about where medicine could take you and what 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 made you want to explore those opportunities even then the funniest thing about going all the way back to when we first met each other was that I think I was in that wonderful stage uh, early on in your career where you're like, I think I know everything uh, <laughs> and I'm willing to spout whether it's controversial ideas or you know, be really forceful about things. And the longer you go on, <laughs> the more you realize, oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm slowly acquiring knowledge, but I also quickly acquired uh, an understanding that there's a whole lot of things I don't know. Uh, and that has really, you know, I think taken on uh, a life of its own in my medical career because there were always other things out there that I wanted to do, things I was interested in, uh, and very much there was only going to be part of me that would be satisfied with my clinical career and the other parts of myself needed other things. The experience of medicine is wonderfully all-consuming, uh, but it's also, in a lot of ways, pretty narrow. Uh, and I think it was being narrow and confined to something would be was something I really kind of chafed at uh, and wanted to do other things. And look, I loved the people that I got to know, and you know, one of those people, Alex Markwell. Uh, she's the chair of the Queensland Clinical Senate now, but you know the two of us in cahoots in a car park at 11:30 after some meeting. Me, 21 years old, 
us discussing how we would want to change the world is still, I think, where I am idealistically. Uh, I know the world's a bit more complicated than I thought it was when I was 21, but it's also still really exciting to try, to kind of tilt at things uh, and spend your time doing things that you feel really passionate about. Is that something that, that sounds like that was always part of, even in, in high school perhaps, is something that that was encouraged or, or there was no pressure from, from, from parents or anything like that to sort of think bigger, look, look to, to, to bigger opportunities or, or, or diversify your interests in that way? Yeah, I mean, I, I've got, you know, I, I've got uh, what I think are remarkable parents, <laughs> so hopefully do most people. Um, but I've actually got a remarkable twin sister as well, and I, I think growing up together we really pushed one another, but more to think about things differently because we see the world quite differently. We were in very different fields in our professional lives, but we just have a very different view on the world. Uh, and that has made us both, I think, be reasonably good at understanding different perspectives because we grew up with it our entire lives. Um, I wasn't this person uh, if, you'd, if you'd found me as an undergraduate uh, science student, I wasn't this person necessarily. I really found a great fit for myself when I started med medical school. Uh, and, you know, there was a lot of um, unabashed confidence, which again was... Was that a product of, of, of you've feeling like you'd found a fit? Were you, were you always a confident person but you just didn't know where to put it? Or the confidence came once you sort of clicked, oh, okay, this is my place? Yeah, the, very much the latter. Yeah. I, I wasn't a hugely confident individual prior to that. Mm -hmm. And I found a place in medical school where I felt very much at home. Uh, and I felt amongst a group of colleagues where I could not just be myself, but also I could strive for things that I thought were important or, um, you know, interesting. And, and medicine's an incredible platform for those things. Uh, you know, I always remind interns when you go and talk to them when they're just starting uh, in their orientation week that the patient doesn't know whether you're the intern, the resident, the registrar or the consultant, they just know you're a doctor and therefore you've got to take that responsibility really seriously and you've got to remember that it's this is an incredible opportunity that you have and, and to be really mindful of that. On the, just on that, picking up on that word opportunity there, in preparing for this chat, one of the, uh, the images that, that popped up when I was looking around was that, that quite powerful one, I think you've used it, um, in various places, but the the one where you're in full navy camo gear on what looks to be you're on board some kind of naval vessel, you're tending to a, a patient, a man that looks like he's got potentially quite a bad injury, uh, abdominal wound. Mm. There, there are just there are a lot of factors flying around there that complicate the situation for a, for a treating physician in a situation like the one you were in in that in that photograph. You're at sea, you're on an unstable platform, communication is going to be difficult. Um, time is likely to premium for a range of reasons you might be limited in in terms of the the treatment that you're going to be able to provide it's not necessarily going to be ideal um, obviously there's a great deal of training that goes into making your prepare making sure you're prepared for a situation like that but can you talk us through what perhaps an experience like that is you know when you're in the middle of that of that focal point of that situation what that's like as a doctor what's the overarching sort of emotion are you feeling in control yeah, that, that was the exact word I was going for. It reminds you what you can't control. Uh, we work so often in environments that are highly regulated, controlled, built by ourselves, for ourselves. Uh, and when you put your skills to work somewhere well outside that, and for many doctors that's the roadside, it's at a park run, it's at a marathon, it's... It might be doing outreach work in it, the it's, it's rural exactly. Papua New Guinea somewhere, yeah. It's, it's all of those kinds of things. Mine's just a very specific version of it. In, in terms of the naval work, yeah. Exactly. Yep. And you also, you, you recognise what you can't control because there's 
you know, hundreds of people on a vessel nearby that are relying on you to be able to communicate with them, to, you know, to do your work, to, um, to try and understand in, you know, with limited equipment what's going on with a patient. Uh, but there's also an evolving tactical and strategic environment around you. You know, that photo was taken um, in the Middle East, and so it's not a place where you know everything that's going on so you you know and you're not in our own national waters back home so everyone's always on a little bit more of a heightened alertness uh so dawdling doesn't it isn't yeah. something you're allowed to do and one of the great things the navy taught me was that medicine isn't everything in when you work in medicine you're the pointy end of the spear yeah. But when you're in the defence force, when you're in the Navy, you're support staff. You're not an afterthought of an afterthought, but you're certainly kept within your own very small part of the services. Yeah. It's the people who drive ships, it's the you know, it's the soldiers on the ground, it's air crew. You're a tool to be utilised in, in some sense. Exactly. And because of that, you come to recognise how important it is that you work with everyone and that you recognize that other people are incredibly valuable to delivering what you do uh you know and whether that's the people who make sure that your vessel the vessel gets to the place where it's supposed to be whether it's the people who provide security around you whether it's the interpreters and you know there's a few other images from my time in the middle east where you know i i'm far and away the least important person in any photo because sure. I couldn't do any of my job without any of those people. Sure. I mean, the list of roles, that's just one of them, your, your work, because of your work with the, with the Navy which came from, I think, early on from a um, scholarship opportunity that, that you had during right. your training. Since then, you've had so many sort of involvements, achievements, uh, roles. I don't, I, I know we're sort of laughing a little bit, but over the, over the last 15 years or so, you've, you've um, I just want to roll through some of these really quickly um, and I'll get to why, but you've had, you know, everything from private and public health advisory consultancy roles, including startups that you've been involved in co-founding. You've um, had a huge involvement in doctors' health advocacy. I noticed you're wearing your Beyond Blue badge as, a, as an ambassador still today. Um, even from early in your training, I think we touched on um, you, you know, you work with the Navy, you've been heavily involved with the AMA, you're currently the New South Wales Director, um, sorry, AMA New South Wales Director, I should say, mm. um, and you continue to hold various medical education roles and, and as well as being a doctor, um, like a like practicing GP, you, you're, you've got uh, your company Inspired Adventures mm. um, and you're currently, as, I'm, as my understanding is, that, um, that you're still splitting your time between Australia and the US with the tech startup derma sensor that you're heavily involved with i just wanted to to give that sort of an idea for our listeners the breadth of the diversity of the range of things that, that responsibilities and things you have because i want to ask how do you find the time to keep so many of these different plates spinning and devote the time and energy to each of these that each one really demands andrew can see me here the listeners on the podcast can't I probably look pretty tired at the moment. Uh, I came in this morning from Hong Kong um, from some other stuff I, I was doing there. You know, it's a good que- you know, it's a good question. How do you manage to make it all fit? Uh, one, uh, I don't have kids uh, yet. Um, I have an incredibly supportive partner. Um, and again, while they might be the list of things that, exist on my CV none of those things are done in isolation you know if if we were talking to you know to Rob Mitchell to Alex Markwell to Andrew Perry Will Milford yep. uh, all of those people Rob Marshall who's at this conference uh, they're all people who I've worked with over time and I'm here because you know we've formed really productive collaborations um you know if you if you kind of want to understand how i do it now there's a lot of really rigorous application of my time not to multitasking but to deep single tasking to solving things you know i have a um a a principle that's called ohio only handle it once 
um, for just about anything, which means uh, you get better at being really focused on, on individual tasks, but also you work out how to triage what you do. It sounds like all of these things are completely unrelated to one another. They're not. Mm. The Venn diagrams of all of these roles... There's a lot of crossover, yeah. ...crosses over incredibly well. Uh, so we, you know, we, and the way I'm using is all of these people who are involved in these areas have been able to do it on top of their clinical training or medical practice because there's a lot of things that, you know, move between these groups. And and working with, you know, the AMA or NETA or um, Health Workforce Australia, you have excellent support as well. So you have a lot of people within those organisations yeah. who uh, feed you with the relevant information for you to digest and, and provide analysis of. So there's a lot behind the scenes that makes makes anyone successful. Mm. The... You know, the other part of it is is that over time I've probably gotten a, a little bit more uh, judicious about what I what, what I you do to be involved with and what you say because that, that was one of the questions I was going to ask you I mean it's almost as if sometimes I look just looking at it purely from an external perspective it almost looks like you, you have a problem saying no <laughs> and that was absolutely in my 20s I would probably say yes to just about anything mm. and the only reason I'd say no is if I'd already said yes to something and it, <laughs> no, it would it cause conf yep. conflict yeah the and you know you, you took the opportunities when they existed or in fact you made them um, I'm going to talk later today at CCIM about what looks like a really well laid out career when you look at it retrospectively but prospectively, there's a whole lot of short branches that never went anywhere that we don't talk about anymore. There's, you know, there's whole lots of forays into things that I never took any further. And just because you prune back those branches over time doesn't mean that they weren't worth doing. Mm. Also doesn't mean that they couldn't have been something great. It's just that they weren't what worked with the circumstances at the time the yep. opportunities that sure. I had and you know always the you know the best kind of way of of looking at this is you know how did I end up with Beyond Blue you know I was uh, I'd become AMSA president you know we, we yep. Andrew and I, you and I had met each other around then um, Jeff Kennett was speaking at our national conference in Melbourne and I was up surprisingly early one morning. Ask anyone who knows me, and that's not always <laughs> uh, something that happens because I'm often late to bed. And I was essentially wandering around for no good reason with nothing to do uh, at the conference venue. Uh, the conference convener <clears throat> walks up to me and says, Michael, I need you to just have breakfast with someone to keep him occupied. He's here early walks me around the corner, introduces me to Jeff Kennett, <laughs> who I've never met before. Jeff has a, <clears throat> has a background in um, the army. He is uh, someone who is not afraid to make controversial statements. Uh, and he was really interested, obviously, by that point in, the me in mental health, but specifically in the mental health of all kinds of professionals. And that's why he was talking uh, at... AMSA's national conference and so those were three areas where the two of us could absolutely have a really involved conversation and we argued you know for two people who just met we argued over breakfast about the best ways to look at different problems in healthcare, to think about how mental health was funded to understand the workforce that supports all of these things and then he w it was his chance to, you know, it was his turn to uh, to go up and open the conference on that day. And by the time we got to the top of the stairs, he turned and asked me, you know, I think your voice would be really useful. Can we give you a call sometime? And I was like, okay, I don't really know what this means. And I got a letter in the mail uh, from his kind of head of operations, a guy called Keith Mortimer. And I read the letter and the letter said, there will be a director's fee of a certain number of dollars. Yeah. 
I didn't really understand. I was a medical student. I didn't understand what this meant. And I wrote back to them very sincerely saying, I'm very sorry. Um, I can't afford to be on your board yeah, for this yeah. director's fee of such and such. Uh, that has that was held over me the entire time I was with Beyond Blue because... Oh, well, I'm sure they, they would be happy to invoice you. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I'm like, I'm a poor medical student. I don't know what I'm doing. So, and, and again, that's one of those things that, you know, I was... Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky that you know, I'm probably not, uh, um, I wasn't afraid to talk to someone in a way that maybe others uh, wouldn't be because, you know, he had no other bearing on my life. If he had walked out that day and had had a view of me that wasn't the best, but I'd gotten my point across yeah. about the fact that and maybe that changes someone, his mind, just a little bit, just enough to ask another question of someone and, you know, beyond Blue's wheels turn over time, that would have been a good outcome of that morning as well. Yeah. You know, so a lot of times in, in medicine, but also in just anyone's life, we're often afraid to do those things. Um, it's not that I'm unafraid of those things. Sometimes they they do worry me. It's more that you can recognise that there's a lot of value in them and therefore it's worth doing. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's a very long-winded way to say you, you know, you, you get some of these opportunities because you're a little bit bolshy, but you also, you know, you... Some of these things came together and were not pruned away because I got very lucky at a couple of points too um, and on a different day on a different circumstances it just wouldn't have happened and I can look back on the timeline back in retrospect on, on my career and some of these uh, things that I've been doing and recognize there were a couple of key inflection points where they really changed the trajectory of that career and whether I created those for myself, whether I was the product, it was a product of circumstance, whether I've just got a bit of dumb luck. You yeah, know. I mean, that was going to be one of the questions I was going to ask you later is around, I mean, I guess given the amount of involvement and things that you've had over the years, and as, as, as you touched on, the people that you meet, the opportunities will start to look for you rather than you looking for them. And we can perhaps talk about where you're at at the moment <laughs> on that one. But given we've just been talking a little bit about Beyond Blue and your involvement there, I just wanted to, to ask about, because obviously, Doctor's health is something that is quite um, one of your passions. And um, how do you, given your own schedule, um, you know, we talked about you're exhausted already because you've been travelling for several days. You you're bouncing around the way. How do you square your schedule and what you're doing and your responsibilities with um, with self care? I mean, do yeah. you have your? I mean, are you comfortable talking about the sort yeah. of processes and things that you do to, to look after yourself? Yeah. So I'm I'm someone who has a reasonable measure of understanding of my own health uh, and probably more than anything else the thing that let go over a few years of being very busy was not mental health but rather physical health mm -hmm. uh, you know <laughs> I, I um, during my MC year I passed a kidney stone which is pretty unusual in a 21 year old you know you're not you're not supposed to have them uh, and I had um, we come back to how things come together. I was in hospital having had my appendix out in, I think, 2009 as an intern, in fact. And Alex Markwell put in front of me my nomination form for an AMA thing and I kind of blindly signed it and said, <laughs> OK, well, I'll be there. So, uh, you know, for, a, for something on council or something like that. So, you know, we kind of have a laugh about that. Um, yeah, my, uh, you know, I had a... Um, I had a pretty good going pneumonia at one point uh, associated not with anything to do with with work but uh, uh, you know trying to fit some social things that we did in around being pretty uh, pretty busy with uh, with work so yeah the, they're the things that have you know have suffered and at different points in time, but you know, again, there are also things that happen to people. You know, I didn't make myself have appendicitis; it just you know, it happens. The the mental health part, you know, I've I've got again really supportive family, you know, incredibly supportive partner, 
Um, and I love what I do. So I think my mental health would be far worse if I ground away at the same job every day with no, you know, change, deviation, respite from it. And every time I go and do something new, uh, even within a week, whether it's with GP Synergy or with the AMA or with clinical practice or with the university or, um, you know, in big data or, you know, with the US startup, yep. I'm energised for that. Um, and that's, you know, going back to what we were saying before, I am still slowly pruning things back as we go. You, you've got to make some of these things really strong parts of your life, big parts of your life, rather than um, having lots of branches out there. And as I, with every year that goes by, I find it probably more difficult to keep up some of the pace. But I also find that keeping up the pace isn't the thing I should be doing. I should find the areas where I can have the most impact. And that's probably what I do now. You, know, you identify trends, you, are, you try and be ahead of certain things. Now, when we're talking a lot about doctor's health now, the first piece of work I did in medical student wellbeing was in 2006. Mm. Um, you know, the, the Churchill Fellowship I received in this area of doctor's health and wellbeing was in 2009. You know, we plugged that work into building Beyond Blue's pathway into doctor's health and wellbeing. So I think because I've been someone who's worked in that space, I've probably been pretty good also at recognising that if you're going to be a good practitioner in this space, it helps to walk the talk. Uh, So a balanced lifestyle, you know, Claire, my partner, tells me, always tells me on a Monday or a Wednesday, I come home at 10 o'clock from tennis and she tell, she's always like, you just won't shut up about tennis. You know, <laughs> it's, it's always this great part of my life. And if it rains on a Wednesday night, I'm, you know, I'm devastated because yeah. I, I just, you know, I might've only finished at work at six and then I come home and then I'm on the court at, you know, at, at 7.30 for, for an eight o'clock start. And she's like, but all revolves in the world is, is tennis. And earlier this year, it was her birthday, uh, and she was going to be working late at work and we were trying to decide what we were going to do. And she said, oh, look, don't do anything. And I said, great. So I went to tennis. Uh, <laughs> and I did not uh, appreciate the subtext, which was don't do anything means we should have dinner at home together yep. rather than don't yep. do anything yep. anything serious. So, look, uh, there, are, there are massive failings in my life. It's there, just, are, there are opportunities to learn. <laughs> there are opportunities to learn, exactly. So, uh, you know, it's very... It's just, you know... Um, I, I think also people have come to be very uh, ex- in my life have come to be very accepting of the fact that I am a bit hyperkinetic uh, there's always something on and I have this amazing uh, mentor who I came across in first year of medical school a guy called Professor John Pern he's a former Surgeon General of the Australian Defence Forces but he's also the kind of most kindly, you know, paediatrician you'll ever meet, which doesn't really square with being the Surgeon General of the Australian Defence Forces. But he's, you know, this incredible man who um, I've learned a lot from over time about the fact that your passions really are the things that make you who you are. And, you know, I look at who I am now and, you know, I love where my life's taken me so in that way I'm pretty happy and healthy just on the, on the topic of life taking you places um, I wanted to talk a little bit about inspired adventures because I'm, on paper for someone like you who has who is always looking for a, a new challenge it sounds almost like a dream job I mean what what kind of role what does that entail you get to get out on the trails with, with people and yeah yeah so I, I actually leave on Monday so I've I've only gotten, I got back from overseas this morning. Uh, I leave on So we're Monday. recording this on the Saturday. For on the Saturday, yes. Yep. <laughs> for our <laughs> listeners, uh, we, we uh, yeah, so I, I'm taking a group uh, of trekkers uh, on the Larapinta Trail 
and they have been raising money in support of Are You OK? So the uh, mental health awareness campaign. Mm -hmm. Um, And the way Inspired Adventures works, Inspired Adventures is a company that I have become part of. Their founder, Justine Curtis, identified 15 years ago that there was a more and more competitive space for individuals who wanted to raise money for things, you know, going and, you know, doing something or uh, in your local community was excellent, but it was harder and harder. There were more people vying for things donations. Things like Kikoga or whatever. Yeah. And where they're, all of a sudden there's a, there seems to be a medical support element that is going to need to be there. Yeah, and, and as this company grew and they continued to provide both Australian and overseas trips where people would pay for, pay to do a challenge themselves, but in support of that challenge, they would raise money for yep. a charity. Yep. And so Inspired Adventures has raised approximately $35 million for charity over that time, uh, which is one part of the reason why I love being involved with this organisation. It, it's very effective. Yeah. Uh, but we also came to realise that if you're going to send a thousand people or more away every year, you need to be doing a very good job at making sure that the people who travel are safe to do so. Because there's a relationship between the individual, any conditions or you know susceptibilities, sensitivities that they have, and the environment that we put them in, mm-hmm. and in the challenge that they undertake. Yeah, and so. I started in a very similar role and you know, just you know, 30 or 40 other doctors that we've had over time, which was I took a group of people away. The, major- the majority of those trips that our doctors do are to altitude locations. So I took a group to Mount Kilimanjaro um, with local operators, right. you know, local guides, and you know, we went, and, uh, went climbing or went trekking. Yep. And... That was, you know, that was fantastic. But I think potentially the thing that allowed me to move into the role that I am these days, which is not, no, you know, I do some treks for the organisation, but now as their chief medical officer, was that I spent quite a bit of time coming to understand how their operations worked, how they thought about risk, how they thought about you know, what they were doing to support participants, whether it be uh, medical checks, dealing with GPs, uh, understanding the role of training. But, you, know, you can't just go and climb these things. They're, yeah. they're pretty hard work. Yeah. The role of aftercare, follow-up support. And and I spent a lot of time doing that. I, I, I was just trying to be competent at my job, which was as a trek doctor. Yeah. And so after a few treks, I then came back to them and I said, Here's 15 pages of what I've learned. Let's work on it. Yeah. And so my role evolved over time from, you know, from expedition doctor to kind of head expedition doctor with a great guy called James Lawrence who had helped them set everything up uh, in the first place. Uh-huh. And then just like... Uh, any organisation, someone gets started and then someone comes in and says, well, we can apply all of these new things uh, and new understandings from new perspectives to make things even better. We can see where there are limitations well, to what you're doing. when you come in, when you're, ha- when you're not having to have done all of the work to get it done, exactly. it's, it's easier to come in with a clear mind and go, well, here are the other things we need to focus on. It's a, that sort of a, a mindset by the sounds of it. Yeah, and so with James, we, you know, we progressed things further and then over the more recently, my role's moved into, well, how do we see the company evolving? So it's taken on much more of like a, a you know, it is now called a chief medical officer to understand how the health of our participants, you know, long-term is important. You know, we're now doing research internally to look at what conditions people travel with and then what impacts or what outcomes those people have so that we can, you know, if we have large amounts of data, we have thousands of participants, 
I can then feedback and present to GPs on what's going on so that they have a better knowledge of how to prepare people, you know, whether it's certain medications or certain you know, nuances of travel medicine or whether it's just an understanding of the impacts on the body of climbing to, you know, five or 6,000 metres, which is not something that some GPs know about. Many do, but not, not all do. Uh, so, you know, we're trying to formalise a lot of those things. Uh, and then, as you say, the, there's a whole crop of new doctors who we've brought in over time, uh, and they have much deeper academic knowledge in this area than I do. They're you know, incredibly competent practitioners. They run some of the courses around the country in expedition and wilderness medicine. Mm. And that's what I think or what I hope we will do over the next 10 years is we'll professionalise not just this company, but this entire area of expedition and wilderness medicine. So we'll go from having an impact just on our participants and our doctors to doctors and across this entire space because it's an evolving, it's a new space again. Yeah. So, and that's kind of been the, if you can build a model of how it should <coughs> be done, you can then, people will take on that model or you can export that model to people if they ask it comes back to what you were saying before i guess about trying to predict trends and, and sort of stay ahead of the game and finding new areas to explore that haven't you know part of the exploring you but um oh, and i get i get to climb mountains <laughs> too that's pretty great pretty cool, so, yeah, yeah it's that's the that's the fun part <laughs> so but you Switching gear a little bit, but staying sure. ahead of the curve. You're also now a, a, a tech mogul, or, or future <laughs> tech mogul. Um, well, to be, you know, you got to start somewhere. You got to yeah. start somewhere. Um, yeah. you, you, obviously, you, you're medical director at Derma Sensor, is what I'm referring to. Yeah. Um, I'm very interested in this this part as well because um, in a previous episode of the, this series, I spoke to a couple of guys, the guys behind Ventari VR. Yep. Um, who you probably know, um, Nish and, and Vijay. Mm. Um, they're, they're doing some really interesting things with 3D scanning and VR technology and stuff and helping to educate doctors and patients and plan surgeries and that kind of stuff. And some pretty cool stuff. But their journey from the call, from the clinical call phase to tech startup world was, from speaking to them, was partly due to sort of a, a bit of a gap that they saw, an opportunity, I think, they saw for an application of technology that sort of marrying the two based on experience. Is that where Derma Sensor is coming from, a similar idea where you've seen something, the opportunity of technology to be applied somewhere else, or you've seen that there's a gap in, there's something that might be really useful to my practice, how do we solve it? Yeah, I think very much in that latter area, you know, how do you apply AI, not to really big technical things like surgical planning, or but to day-to-day -day, uh, use in the general practice office, you know, so much of technology is applied in those high capital expenditure areas like hospitals. Mm. Actually, very little of it flows into, at least initially, flows into primary care. Primary care is a great place to deploy technology as soon as, so long as that technology really it works and is works. reliable. Yes, and, and that's that's where I got involved. So I'm not a founder of you know the technology was developed by an incredible bunch of scientists in Boston. Uh -huh. uh, you know, it's a, it's a field of spectroscopy. And they, when a company was spun out or was identified and created out of that, they recognised that they needed some technical, clinical expertise. Right. Now, because it's to do with skin cancer, Australian GPs know a lot about skin cancer, even though it's not my sole area of practice it's just one part of practice mm -hmm. but it turns out the practice of Australian general practitioners looks very similar to actually to the skin cancer practice of dermatologists in many other parts of the world we see a large number of lesions we actually get pretty good at it yep. uh, and for this organisation or for this company they were you know, very keen to have me on board and you know, so I was um, not a founder. I'm employee number three. <laughs> but you, you're if you're gonna if you're gonna be a, as you say a tech mogul, <laughs> you want your employee number to be in the single digits. Sure. That's the place to be. So, uh, you know, I've I've had an incredible experience with them, and you know, I'm I'm still doing quite a bit with them, though um, day to day 
you know, it's a company run out of the United States and part of the way in which I got involved with them was following my partner to the United States for her career and then we made the decision to come back to Australia for her career as a lawyer so that you know she could work in Sydney as a barrister and because of that you know I've had to scale back my role with them now these are the push pulls of you know how do you make your life yeah. work yeah well, I was going to ask you about the sacrifices along the way and this sounds like like one of many <laughs> yeah and and so you you know I was lucky enough to be right place, right time, and also have people, you know, it was a colleague of a friend of a friend who in, who called a, you know, called the very new, very young CEO of this company and said, have we got someone who might fit, you know, yep. fit what you need? Yep. Uh, he's, a, you know, he's about to land in New York, you know, go talk to so him. So everything aligned, yeah. Exactly. And now, you know, uh, everything could have aligned in other for other companies, but this was a, a good natural fit. Um, and what it taught me, again, was a whole lot of new skills. I felt like I was going to school every day and I was just getting paid to go. Yeah. You know? and, and there are things about the culture in medicine versus corporate or startup culture, which are, you know, which are very, very, very different. And the way in which you, you know, the, the natural... Um, naturally conservative nature of medical practice, the naturally um, entrepreneurial bullish nature of of a startup, uh, of a startup we, you know, is hard to. And I was always the voice of the the voice of wary, the voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the, let's let's get some more data on that. You know, <laughs> and uh, I, I think sometimes to their uh, frustration. Frustration. Oh, well, it's, it's understandable. You know, you, they're trying to get this thing to work, and they, they they see this great idea, this application they've got, and that no no doubt that there's we, we want to get this helping people and you know, as soon as possible. But as you say, it, if it's it, I mean, it's interesting that they found a GP um, with a with an interest in, in skin um, skin cancer, that kind of stuff, because it sort of it gives them that that as you say that that break. You just say. This is not going to work in my clinic necessarily. I want to be able to tell my patient when they leave exactly what their situation is or is not. And and that is actually, it was incredible. It's a creative tension. Mm. It's really, if you don't have that check on, um, you know, unlimited uh, entrepreneurial ambition, then you produce a Theranos. You You produce something, you produce a company that is all about the business and not about the quality of the clinical outcome. Right. Um, and if you're on the other end, if you're, you're, you end up in research, which doesn't end up having clinical application. Now, it may well one day, and you know, that's where all great ideas all start somewhere, and our idea started 25 years ago. It's not new. It's just that the melding of a spectroscopy technology and where AI has gotten to and the ability to, you know, do deep learning on, um, on this data has now gotten to a point where you can actually produce something that's, uh, you know, a technological possibility. What are the most important lessons generally across all the, the some of, we've spoken a lot of different parts of your, your <coughs> experience um, today, but what are the, some of the most important lessons, I think, perhaps when you think about that you've learned along the way? Uh, that you mightn't have had, had the opportunity perhaps to learn if you weren't pursuing all of these various projects and, and involvements and roles. Yeah. Um, there's one that I, I like to tell people. I'm not always very good at it. Um, and I call it do common things uncommonly well. You know, people call you, call them back. People, right. you know, actually manage your emails. You know, doctors are terrible often at responding to emails because it's not what we do. We see patients. We you know we sit in it in mainly in our clinical space, and then a lot of the administrative burden process it feels like exactly that a burden rather than being important because you know pe- most of the time the people who interact with us aren't trying to stymie us in our jobs. They're actually trying to 
help us, but they need information. They need, you know, and if they get timely information back from us, everyone works better together and they don't become frustrated with us. So, you know, I, I learned a lot about that from the corporate culture of working very closely with people in a very fluid and dynamic environment like a startup. Um, you know, but you know, co- common things are still you know, remembering people, learning people's names, being respectful of uh, you know one another, and you know, at the start of that, respecting yourself as well for you know knowing that you have to give yourself time to do things. And I, I know every this common conception is that lots of things necessarily means you spread yourself very thin. Um, my version of that is that you are incredibly rigorous about how you use your time. You break it into blocks. You don't give anyone less than your best. Uh, and in the United States, when I was you know, I was on the board of uh, GP Synergy, and the timings for evening board meetings or evening uh, committee of the board meetings were you know between two and four a.m., which means you know that night you set up your life differently. You go yep. to bed at seven. You know you get up at one. You make sure you've got everything prepped. You make sure the computer connection works. You're not just like working in a practice. You don't walk in two minutes before you see the first patient. You take your time to make sure that everything's ready to go you give a a great two hours or three hours in a meeting you're you know you know what you're there for you've pre-read the you know a few hundred pages of of documents whatever you have to do Um, and then you know you switch that off whether you go back to bed or not or you know you you know you make sure that there's an awareness that okay, today I'm not trying to do anything, you know, maybe I'm not doing anything clinical or maybe I'm only focusing on, you know, clearing emails because I can do that at 100% and it's not going to impact, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do the wrong thing. I'm not going to get it wrong, uh, you know, things like that. So you, you try and rigorously structure things to mean that you can meet all of the, requirements that you have um, and again you work on it with someone you know we're recording a podcast here I have a voice I've been told by many people that carries a lot uh, you know it's uh, it, it reverberates through walls whatever <laughs> but um, you know you are you're mindful of that if you live in a small apartment with your you know with your partner that if you're going to do a, a a video meeting at two in the morning. Maybe you go to your WeWork or something yeah, like that. Yeah. You you go to your office, sure, because it's you know you you're trying to keep everyone uh, everyone happy. But look, it's it's always a little bit of a juggle, um, but it's one that I absolutely love. And you know, uh, maybe my telomeres say otherwise, but I am. Uh, I feel like it keeps me young uh, and it certainly keeps me enthusiastic about it, about the world that I work in and certainly, you know, I haven't really been hit by cynicism about how medicine or healthcare works because I feel like there's always an opportunity to go out there and try and do something about that and that's the antidote to cynicism is being able to take action and I think I'm lucky to often be in that position where I can take some, try and take some action. Well, I guess that's what, um, we'll wrap up in a second, but I was just going to say, that I guess that's what very much what Creative Careers Medicine is all about. I mean, I guess it's why you decided to come and be involved with, with this particular conference, because that's what every single doctor downstairs in, in, in the room today is there because they are trying to expand that, make it, make an impact somewhere else. Is that, is that, was that what, what sort of the way that you see this, this organisation or this, this network that I'm on deep to put together? Yeah. Look, and that's that's always been what's been so exciting about this as as a group of like-minded individuals. Mm. Uh, it used to be so hard for us to find one another, and now Amadeep brought a lot of us together who wouldn't have otherwise known one another. 
and yet there are a whole lot of people downstairs who we already all knew. We we form we formed a community before there was a community, yeah. and now we've just found that there's a whole lot of other people out there who we can relate to. The you know, I don't know. I, I was saying earlier, we, well, we were saying earlier, I found a, f- a fit for myself in medicine. Um, and my my great hope is I get to look back on a career and, you know, it's, you know, but you made a real impact, you know, and whether that impact is clinical practice or whether the impact is, you know, reform of health funding or whether that's, you know, a better package of um, services and engagement for doctors' health, where whatever it is, you can look back and say, I was part of that. And that, for me, would be, you know, that, that for me is why I'm still driving after these things and continue to do so, because that's what essentially makes me tick. It's probably a great place to leave it. Michael Bonney, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Andrew. That was Dr. Michael Bonning. As he touched on in the chat, he was a little bit uh, jet-lagged and he had a very busy week ahead of him. So I'm especially grateful that uh, he was able to give up some of his time for the CCIM podcast. He was a great chat, actually, and um, has certainly had one of the most diverse careers of any of the guests that we've featured so far in this series. Before I go, another quick thank you to our sponsor for this one, the Private Practice. The Private Practice provide business and financial education training for healthcare professionals at each stage of your professional and personal life. Whether you're transitioning into private practice, whether you're seeking strategies for growth or planning a smooth succession or retirement, you can find out more by visiting their website at theprivatepractice.com.au. Again, that's www.theprivatepractice.com.au. Thank you once again for listening. If you like this in any of our previous episodes, we'd love if you could share it with your friends and colleagues, maybe give us a nice review on iTunes. It all helps us get the word out. This has been an Embrace Creative production for Creative Careers in Medicine. We still have a few more interviews left over from the Gold Coast sessions that will be coming to you in the coming weeks. We also have a list of new guests and topic areas in the pipeline that will be coming out after that as well. So stay tuned.